You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good to gather with you this morning. Um, I'd like to dismiss our chapel kids. So if you have a child four years old to fifth grade, we've got a great uh, group of volunteers right there in the back. Um, we'd ask the parents to escort them to the lobby, just sign your child in. They'll be right next door having some good teaching and, and fellowship. So, wow, that's a lot. That's great. Very good. One other announcement um, before we get started. Uh, there are some other cards, too, in the, in the foyer uh, for our marriage encounter, which is coming up this Saturday, uh, April 24th, from 9 to 11.30 a.m. here at Black Forest Chapel. We're just uh, excited to invite um, a godly couple that my wife and I have known for many years. They, um, they counsel, they mentor, they speak in the lives of families and marriages, and they're just kind of that go-to couple. They've been married 32 years, raised a wonderful family, and uh, with all of its ups and downs. And, and so they'll be coming to kind of share some of their wisdom to bring God's word to bear on marriages. And so it's an opportunity for you to come uh, two and a half hours. We'd ask you to RSVP as soon as possible so we can get a headcount for materials and food. And if you need child care as well, we're happy to provide that for you. Um, and this is one of those where sometimes we, we, we talk about marriage as being important and a priority, but do we actually make time uh, for our spouse? Do we make time just to sit and to talk and to think and to consider God's word? So this is an opportunity for you to do that, and we'll have some food for you and some hopefully get to meet some other couples, and, and uh, that should be a, a, a good, good thing, a blessing for our church. So please uh, consider that this Saturday, 9 to 11.30. Uh, you can grab one of the cards on your way out, RSVP to Katrina. Um, McAllister, um, if you're able to come. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are our Father. We are your sons and daughters, those who have put faith in Christ. We belong to you. We are part of your family. And Lord, you um, are perfect and amazing in every way. And one of the ways in, in, in your wisdom, Lord, in your perfection, uh, one of the ways that you have... Um, ordained that we grow in knowing more about who you are, how to live for you, how to glorify you, how to obey you, Lord, is that you give us parents, that you put us in families, that we are not left on our own, Lord, but you provide a way for us to be trained, to have instruction, and and to be protected and provided for, and really to see the goodness of your heart um, as as we are raised and then sent into this world to bring you glory. Um, using our gifts and how you've called us. So thank you, Lord, that you are the one that designs, you're the one that defines marriage and families, Lord, and that it's good. And we ask you to help us this morning as we open your word to the fifth commandment. How do we honor our father and our mother? How do we, how do, we do that, Lord, in a world that's uh, very much against those things? So we ask for your help, Holy Spirit. Help us to hear, to understand. Help me to be clear. And may you help us ultimately to obey your word. We thank you for the privilege of being your people and to sit under the teaching of your word, the truth that sanctifies us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you would, we're going to be uh, in Exodus 20, still, verse 12. <laughs> 
one verse at a time at this point, right? Uh, we're walking through the Ten Commandments, and, and we're going to be in the uh, verse 12. And hopefully it's been a blessing to walk through and to see this, this life of, of Israel uh, really move from, from death to life, right? From bondage to freedom as his people and as he's brought them out of Egypt and into the, the desert toward the promised land, moving toward the promise that he's given them, this place of rest. We know it's temporary rest, but it's a place of rest nonetheless. And so he's moving them, he's sanctifying them, he's teaching them, and ultimately as his king, he's giving them his law. And he's now on Mount Sinai. He has come down to visit his people. He's made a covenant with them. And last week we talked about the, the Sabbath being a sign of that covenant. He's made a covenant with them, and now he's, he's verbally instructing his people. This is, this is who God, he's saying, this is, I'm the Lord your God, and this is what I expect of you. I am holy, I am perfect, I am morally perfect in every way, so I, I want you to be perfect as well. And we know they can never keep the law perfectly, only Jesus could do that for us. <clears throat> but nonetheless, this is the expectation that God has, and it really is to expose their sin, their need for a savior. So we looked at the first commandment, which prohibited the worship of false gods. We are to worship the one true God and him alone, and that's it. And this was a help to them coming from a, a nation that had a pantheon of gods. And there's a lot of confusion with that. And there's probably, you know, um, a lot of ingrained idolatry, really, by coming from Egypt. And so they will worship the one true God. And he has made himself known that he, they know that he is God because he has brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He did all these amazing things. He did what he said he was going to do. He kept his promise. And so he has made himself known, this great I am. And not only were they to worship the right God, but the second commandment, they had to worship him the right way and not making any carved images, not worshiping any type of idols or, or creations, um, that really try to bring God low. They're trying to put him in a box and say, well, this maybe is what God is like. No, that's his creation. That's not who God is. He's spirit. You can't, make a, a, you can't shape him and form him and then do what you want with him. And so they are not to create any images of the invisible God. They're not to use his name in vain for emptiness and nothingness and worthlessness and carelessly and flippantly. The third commandment, his name is to be praised and to be given glory. His name is who he is. It embodies all of him. And then the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. We talked about how that was a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, right? And moving into the New Testament, the New Covenant, Jesus fulfilled all of those things. He, he, he really transformed it. So he is now our Sabbath rest, rest. Just as when God rested on the seventh day, he was resting, he was enjoying, and he was satisfied in his perfect work. It was done. It was finished. It was complete. And Christ's work is now finished. It is done. It is complete. He is our Sabbath rest. When we put our faith in Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. We can, we can be at peace in this world. And it seems elusive at the times that we can be actually be at peace, but we can when we consider the promises of God, the hope that we have in him, where we're going. So now we come to the fifth and what some call the forgotten commandment. Because people think of it, yeah, I'm not supposed to worship other gods. I can't make idols, right? I'm not supposed to murder. They just skip right over honoring father and mother. We don't think of that as a commandment. It's, it seems like it's common sense, but God had to put it in here for a reason, right? And if we look at, a lot of people like to divide the, the commandments based on the, the great commandment in the New Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first four commandments help us to love God, right? That's how some would, would break it up. And the last six would help us to love our neighbor. Honoring our father and mother is, is right at the top there. It's kind of that, that hinge between the first and the, and the second half, right? Why do we start there? 
Well, how do we love our neighbor? How do we do anything in this world that is pleasing to God unless we are trained to do so? Unless we have a, a, a foundation from which to understand how we are to love and respect, right, other people. And so the family unit, the family is really God's design. It's, he's defined it and he's given it to us as a gift. Although there's contention and there can be, you know, um, arguments and quarrels and disagreements and there can be some tension there for sure. It's a gift for us to be trained up in godliness and righteousness. And so to honor our parents is an important aspect of God's law. It's the foundation for everything else. Because if, if the family fails, what typically happens? The nation fails. And God wants his nation to thrive, to be prosperous, to, be, to have an abundant life, to live long in the land. That's his desire for his people. And he knows that the family needs to be intact. It needs to be strong. And part of that is, is children honoring, obeying, respecting their parents. And really by doing that, they learn to honor, obey, and respect God himself. And so the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Seems easy enough, but God had to command it because it's not a natural thing for us. We are naturally what? Rebellious. We are sinful. We, want, we don't like to be under anyone's authority. We think we can do things on our own, right? So God had to put this in place to know that, no, no, this is, this is, my, this is, this is God's design. Trust the process here. You might not like it, but it's for your good. And so he gives this, this command. And so for those of you who are, those of you parents right now, we're really excited that we're going to be talking about this. It's about time. Where are my kids? Are they listening? Do they have their pens out? Do they have their notebooks out? It's time to bring the hammer down, right? I've been, I've been waiting a long time for this one. Before you get too excited about that, the burden is both on the, on the children, but on the adults as well, even, even when it comes to in the home. So we're going to talk about a couple aspects here. So what does it mean to honor your father and your mother, to obey them if you're a child who's still in the home? on the, the direct care and supervision and protection and provision. So how, how do we do that? And then for as adult children, if our parents are still living, how do we still honor our parents even as adults? We'll talk about a couple of those things. When it comes to children in the home, though, sometimes we just put it on the kids, just figure it out, just obey me, right? But what's, what, what's the job of the parents in any command that God gives in the scriptures is to teach them those commandments, is to teach them how to obey, right? So we expect kids just to figure it out. We expect kids to be adults, right? We, sometimes we expect little kids who are running all over the place just to sit still all the time. Well, no, we, we pray that we have healthy children and then they're healthy and running around. We want them to sit and be quiet, right? Adults have to sit because we're tired and we hurt. So there's a reason why we're sitting all the time, right? But kids, they're healthy, so they're all over the place. That's a good thing. But we can train them and teach them, okay, in this moment, in this context, we need you to sit, and this is why. This is respectful. This is for your good. So we can teach them those. Don't just expect it. We have to actually teach them. There was an interesting article in Psychology Today that I was reading uh, from 2018. This is a secular publication, but it speaks to the matter that this is just... We know that it's right, right? If you look at Ephesians 6, which we'll look at in a minute, to obey our parents is just right. It's, it's kind of a natural law. Every civilization, every people group understand this. We understand that, that, that children, this, these small little babies, infants that grow, they need protection and provision and help. They can't, they can't do things on their own. They're not ready yet. It's, it's, we kind of get it, but then we turn things around a little bit. And so this article, which speaks to what I'm going to talk about here by Dr. Allen, He's an MD. It's titled, Who's in Charge, Parents or Kids? 
And he says, it's a paradox. He says, kids may seem to run the roost in some homes, but all is not what it seems. And so Dr. Allen, he's, he kind of kicks off the article, and I'll just read you a couple sections here. Uh, by quoting one of his favorite parenting columnists, John Rosemond, who asks a father and a mother, so this is a question that he asks fathers and mothers, who are the most important people in your family? And they replied, as many parents do today, our kids, right? Who's the most important people? Our kids are the most important people. And Rosemond reacted somewhat negatively to the answer. He says, there is no reasonable thing that gives your children that status. Many, if not most, of the problems they're having with their kids, typical stuff these days, are the result of treating their children as if they, their marriage and their family, exist because of the kids, when it is, in fact, the other way around. Without parents, their kids wouldn't eat well, they wouldn't have nice clothing, wouldn't go to school, wouldn't live in a nice home, they wouldn't have anything. He says, that's really the heart, uh, back to Dr. Allen, he says, this is the heart of the matter. He people my age know it's the heart of the matter because when we were kids, it was clear to us that our parents were the most important people in our families. That that right there is why we respected our parents. And that right there is why we looked up to adults in general. There was a natural respect. You, your parents came in the room, you, you got up. If you were in your dad's chair and you came in the room, you, you got out of the chair, right? That's your dad's chair. There was, there, was a, there was just a natural respect. And by respecting the parents, you actually respected other adults as well. It carried over into other parts of your life. And so Alan agrees with Roseman that the parents' marriage should indeed be the most important relationship in the house not the relationship between the parents and the kids. And the parents should be the authority figures and in charge, not authoritarian in a negative way. We know that we're not fathers and mothers, we're not supposed to provoke our children to wrath and anger, right, by being harsh disciplinarians, but we're supposed to discipline, but do so in love. If we really love them, we set boundaries, we, we correct, we let them know who's actually in charge. He says, the only part on this which Roseman and, and I, Dr. Allen says, disagree is that I might have a different take on the phenomenon of parents thinking their kids should be the most important people in the house. The part I disagree with him about is when he says, because of the parents' behavior, it is no longer clear to children these days that the parents are in charge. So this Roseman says, the parents aren't acting in charge. They don't really look the part. They're really not paying attention. They're really permissive. They allow a lot of things to happen. And so that's why the children are kind of ruling the roost a little bit. And Alan disagrees with that. He says, in fact, our brains are biogenetically programmed to put our primary adult attachment figures in charge. Our very survival depends on it. And so he says, we just naturally know that these people are in charge, right? They have the food, they have the car, they've got the money, they've got the, the clothes seem to come from them, things seem to come from them. They're in charge. We know that. They know that the survival is dependent on them. So, so they understand that. When the children seem to be in charge, Alan says, I believe they're just acting as if it's not clear to, who, to them who's in charge. They're acting as if they, not the parents, as if, as if it's them, not the parents. So how can we understand this paradox? So Alan says, and this was, this was the interesting part, this is the key. If children do in fact know that parents make important decisions, so parents inher- kids inherently know parents are in charge. They know that, they just know. If children do in fact know that parents make the important decisions in the home and the parents in their wisdom have decided that the children are more important and that the children's choices should be paramount, then who are they to question their parents' judgment, right? So they know the parents are in charge. And when the parents say, well, you're in charge, what do you want to do? What do you think? You you don't want to eat all that broccoli? How about you eat one one more piece? Eat half a piece of broccoli and then you can have dessert. Well, if you promise to eat it tomorrow, I'll give you dessert. Who's really in charge here, right? We're negotiating. We're not directing. They will go along with it. Of course they will. They're sinful. They, They want to be in control, even though they know that they need 
the parents to provide for them. They will act like they should make all the decisions and will continue to make them because doing so is in line precisely with the important decision the parents seem to have made to put them in charge. The parents seem to have made this decision by the way that they're giving their children rule and authority. And the parents almost always continue to allow it, protest though they might, to confuse the issue just a little. Because why? Because it gets out of control, right? Prison riots, all that kind of stuff to start taking place, and you're wondering what happened. Well, you, you gave them the keys to the kingdom. Right? It might confuse the issue just a little, since it is they who decided that this is the way it's supposed to be. In this context, their actions speak a whole lot louder than their words. And so I share that because I, I think that we, once again... <clears throat> We tell children or, or we, maybe we, we read the Bible and we have this expectation and we know that it's right that parents are in charge, but culturally, we tend to drift in the, in the current of the culture sometimes. We communicate to the kids and they're, they're, they're looking at us and they're believing because we're in charge that they're really more important. They're more important than this marriage. They're more important than anything in the house. And that is the part of the reason the downfall of we, we lament a lot of what we're seeing on the news and what we see around this country and this is nothing new we know that that it's just a product of sinful behavior both on the part of the child and ultimately an abdication of our parenting so we need parents to be present and we need parents to parent right parents need to be present and they need to be parenting the way that god has called them to and sometimes we shy away from those things and we think, well, I want to I lean on grace and I want to, well, we, we love our children by providing direction, by providing guidelines, by providing boundaries, just as our loving father provides boundaries and guidelines and says, Here, here's the guardrails. This is what I'm telling you you can't and what you, what you shouldn't do. Within there, you have a lot of freedom. But if you go too close to the edge, you're, you're going to fall off. And this is God's wisdom for us. And as parents, we should be we should be doing the same thing. We are really in the place, we are in the, in the stewardship position of God in the lives of our children. They're learning about God through our interactions with them and how we teach them about God and how we, we love them. So, so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. How do we honor our father and mother? And ultimately, as, as parents, how do we teach our children to do the same thing? So the word honor here in Hebrew means to be heavy, to be weighty. That's what the word honor means. It's to treat someone as if they're really weighty or heavy in importance or significance. So we treat someone as very important, as, as, as put a high value on this person. And so that, that's what it means to honor someone. The opposite would be to treat someone very casually, very lightly, very disrespectfully, as if they're not very important. Right? The Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word in the New Testament, tamao, means to place a high value upon them. So it means the same thing. And honor means more than just obedience. Obedience can be done in fear, right? We can, we can say words and we can, we can do whatever our parents ask, but to honor them actually comes, it's, it's different. We're giving them great value. We're actually considering them as, as very significant people. There's a heaviness and a weight to their authority. We actually are loving them. We're, we're providing affection for them when we honor them. We're providing actual gratitude and care and respect and God takes this very seriously. We're to honor him ultimately and bring him glory. And so we learn to do that in the context of our family. And here's some other, here's some other texts for you to write down, some other scripture that shows the seriousness of this. Why God put this in the Ten Commandments and in the place in the commandments, but also as he follows up on it in other aspects and in other places in the scripture. Exodus twenty one seventeen. you can just write some of these down. I'll go through a few of them for you. Exodus 21.17 says, Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. So th- this incurs a death penalty. 
to dishonor your parents, to, to curse your parents, death penalty. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, gives us another look at this. The section on a rebellious son. Deuteronomy 21, 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. So both parents are involved here. They're speaking into their son's life. Their son's accountable here. And though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this is our son. This, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. This is pretty, we would think that this is pretty extreme, right? Now we're under a new covenant, right? So we, we don't have that, that same consequence necessarily of the physical death. But it speaks to the importance and to the weight of this when it comes to honoring our parents and honoring God himself. God is trying to build a nation here. When people dishonor him and don't bring him glory and bring his name down to the dirt in their sinfulness, they are to be purged from the, their presence. Just like there's some other laws related to this. But they're to be stoned. They're, they're to be killed. This is how serious it is. This is how holy God is. This is how terrible our sin is. And when we have an affront toward our parents, we have an affront toward God. God has made this commandment for his people. And so this, if you curse your father or mother, if you don't listen to them, you don't obey their voice and discipline. It's the death penalty. Deuteronomy twenty-seven sixteen: Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Right? There should be a collective yes. We should be in agreement with this. This is a good thing. This is the help, not just the family, but the nation. Right? Leviticus 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. This is serious. Okay, Proverbs 30, verse 17. This is one of my new favorite verses. <clears throat> the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Ultimately, this, 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 this <laughs> just kidding, I'm not going to memorize that one. That's a little dark. This, this one entails the idea of where, where's the heart at, right? Because our children can speak, they can speak, yes, mom, yes, dad. But if that eye rolls, we know where their heart's really at, right? We get that eye or they kind of cover up. No, we want, that's why, kids, this is why we want eye contact when we're talking. We want to make sure you really understand, not just with your mouth, but with your eyes. We want to, we want to know that you really see us and hear us. And we want to see your response, not just from here, but from here. It makes all the difference. If you're staring at us, yeah, dad, if you're doing that or if you're rolling your eyes, this is, this is your end, right? No, it's, 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 essentially, there's a, there's a terrible end. There's, there's no long life in the land. There's, there's, there's consequences to this. What you're doing is you're going against God's command. You're going against the very people that have sacrificed for you, that are protecting you, that love you, and they don't do things perfectly. They are not perfect people. Only God is. But guess what? You're not either. And they are further along, and they, they have been given a charge by God, a duty by God to raise you, to teach you, to train you. And even if their discipline is harsh sometimes or, or poorly communicated, your job is to honor them and respect them. And we'll get a little bit later about how do we honor someone who's not honorable. God didn't put a condition in here, a disclosure saying, well, honor your father and mother 
except, you know, in these situations. Or if they don't deserve it, you can just forget this one, right? And he didn't do that. He wants you to trust the process. He wants you to trust him. And so the eye that mocks the father and scorns to obey a mother, we, we, we don't allow our hearts, we, we don't just give them lip service of obedience, right? We have to pray to the Lord, help me, Lord, to obey and to honor my parents and to respect them. Because then it goes well with our life. Because what we're doing is we're learning to, to honor and obey God. And we're learning to honor and to obey other authorities in our life, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's government authorities. Those, it teaches us to live differently than this world. And it helps us to move along and to be prosperous and have an abundant life. We might not necessarily live longer. There's, there's obviously exceptions to that. But the idea here is abundance of life. The promise is abundance is prosperousness. There's, there's, there's plenty of studies that, that prove this out as well. But if you just live in rebellion and you're just living until you're 18 just to get out of there, and you're just living, you're just trying to make it through, and you're just trying to, your heart is not going to be trained then for godliness and righteousness as you leave the house. You're going to be deficient in those things. So, So allow your parents to train you. Train yourself to honor your parents, to give them respect, to give them care. It's amazing how it works too, right, in the home. Sometimes we as parents expect some resistance or rebellion because we've had it before and we say something and we're ready for, ready for the fight. We're ready for you know, this, this thing to come back at us or we're just anticipating something and then our child says, okay, I'd love to, dad. That'd be great. Like, what? I just, I stretched out for nothing, right? I didn't, I warmed up for, I was waiting for this confrontation and didn't come. And then what, what happens? It's like, oh, there's, there's, there's a joy in our hearts. There's a peace in the home, right? Things go well that day. It's just, it's just the conversations are different. Maybe the parent starts to see a change in attitude and heart, and there's an honoring and a respect taking place. And so now the child is given more than they had before because they're, they're, they're showing themselves to be faithful. They're showing themselves to be honoring. They're, they're obeying God's word. They're obeying your parents. It's an amazing thing when it actually takes place and works, and we start to see those things shape, hopefully, over time if we're consistent with it. Proverbs twenty three twenty two says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. There's a lot of scripture about honoring your mother and your father. This is how important it is to the Lord, how important it is for our lives. <clears throat> and so we'll start with the, the, the obvious one that we've already talked a little bit about, the children in the home. So those of you who are still in your parents' care, you're, you're at home, under their provision and their protection. And some of you I know are going to college or you are in college. If you're still, if your parents are still providing for you, even though you're away and doing something else and they're still providing for you in a meaningful way, you're still under their care. You still need to listen to them. You still need to obey their voice. You might be an adult in all the classic sense and chronologically, but if you are choosing to be under them, because they are providing for you in a healthy way for school or something like that. There's still an honoring that takes place with, with obedience. But if you're in the home, in, a, in the classic sense, and you're um, <clears throat> trying to figure out how to honor your mother and your father through obedience, God wants to speak to some of those things as well. Ephesians 6 helps us with this. and it, There's a couple places here in Ephesians 6 and, and Mark as well where this commandment is actually repeated for us. It's used in the context of a New Testament letter or in a gospel account. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, an important text for us. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So Paul is 
kind of expounds on this a little bit. It may go well with you. It'll, you'll, you'll be prosperous. It'll go well with you. You'll live long in the land. You'll have an abundant life. You'll have a much more fuller life if you obey your parents. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is, this is, you're, you're, you're learning to serve God and learning to obey God as you obey your parents. And, and what we don't want to do, though, is um, start to parse things too much, but in the Lord means you, you should still obey God first. Right? We see this in Acts, in Acts 20 and other, other places where we are to obey God rather than men. So if your parents want you to directly disobey a command of God, if you know this is against Scripture, you're still to honor them, but you are not required to obey them in that. But everything else... Everything else that your parents ask you to do, you obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. What does it mean that it's right? How do we know it's right? What's the context here? Nature tells us that. I already told you that earlier, right? The nature demands it. This is just God created human beings. He put us in families. This is his design. This, these are just things that we know. We see it. We understand it. If we, if we walk out in nature and we see a four-ounce chipmunk yelling and screaming at a 700-pound grizzly, Slapping him in the face, and the grizzly's like, yeah, I know. And we, we, Something's wrong here. Nature is upside down. That shouldn't be the way it is, right? Instead, the chipmunk's going off, and the, the bear can just, just blow out of his nostril and knock the thing off the log, right? It's 700 pounds versus four ounces. We know who's in charge. Right? There's no doubting that. We just understand it. We can see it. It's clear. Children are to obey their parents. They are under their parents' authority. This is universally understood. So what's the problem? Why is there a command here for us? Because there's a sin issue that is also on the table because of the fall. There's sin, there's rebellion, there's suppression of what? God's truth. And we see this in Romans 1. In Romans 1, talking about God's wrath coming on unrighteousness. So all of the bad news before Paul gets to the good news of Christ. This is for the wrath, and this is Romans chapter 1. I'll read a few sections here, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Right? Verse 23, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal mans and birds and animals and creeping things. So idolatry and worshiping created things, worshiping self, ultimately. Right? <clears throat> Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So once again, we're exchanging the truth for a lie. Verse 28, and here's our main section. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. There's a whole list of unrighteousness. The, the reason why God's wrath is coming, these are just categories of sin, if you will, specific sin too. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, just, just let these words sink in. Just how We all have images and pictures of what these look like, right? Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We see this. We're seeing a lot of video. I know it's just a different world now with, with iPhones and everything else, but we're, we're watching people just walk down the street and just punch people in the face. Elderly people, old people who are, who are helpless and just walking down the street. They're just getting, just getting knocked out. Why? Just, it's just evil. There's no purpose in it. They don't even know these people. It's just because they can, right? They are gossips. And you might just glance over that like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. No, that, that, that's like walking down the street and punching someone in the face, but using words and using innuendo and slandering them behind their backs. And you destroy reputations and you destroy trust and you destroy relationships with this. It's, it's serious. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, 
boastful, inventors of evil. And here, and here's what we're talking about in the middle of this terrible list of unrighteousness. The reason why God's wrath is coming, disobedient to parents. And then you have foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. How is disobedience to parents in this list? It seems, it doesn't seem to fit, right? In God's mind, it fits perfectly. This is part of the problem. Disobedience to parents creates lots of consequences in our life. We're being trained to obey God, to walk in his statutes, to walk in his righteousness. And if we can't do that at home with our parents who are in the, in the place of God, who are stewarding us, who are in the place of authority that God has put over us to protect us, to love us. These are people that sacrifice for us to give us everything that we need, and yet we spit back in their face. If we're doing that to these people, how much more to God who gives us everything, including life? And so this is the result of such things. Uh, t- Paul also shares this similar list to Timothy, Second Timothy 3. talks about godlessness in the last days. But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. If you are consistently and unrepentantly disobedient to your parents, if you just don't understand that they, they're there to love you and to protect you and to help you, and you're constantly in rebellion to them. You're, you're in this list. You're part of the godlessness in the last days. You're to be people that we avoid because you're not just going to... That's When you think, you think you're going to leave the door and everything's going to be great now because your parents don't have authority over you anymore, you're in for a rude awakening. You do not allow yourself to be trained to honor, to respect authority, to obey God and all these things, and you will be rebellious for the rest of your days until you repent of those things. And, and isn't it true? I mean, I think no matter what we struggle with in our own homes and with our own parents, eventually, someday, hopefully, even, even if it doesn't go perfectly, but it goes well, and you ultimately learn to obey your parents and you respect and honor them the best that you understand and you, you walk in light of that. And hopefully your parents have trained you to do so. Part of the problem, once again, is that parents don't train their kids to obey them. They, they don't train their kids to honor them, right? They're just trying, sometimes parents, we just, we're just surviving. We're just trying to get through the day, get through the week. When's graduation? When are you guys, where's the moving van? It's time to get you going, right? We want, there, there's some sense of relief there, maybe, that we made it through. They're alive. They've got decent grades. I think they, right? Versus, where, where's their character? Did we really equip them for all the things that are going to come after them? Did we really do that? This is, to God, this is serious business. The serious sin of disobedience towards parents. It reflects an arrogant, rebellious heart, and it translates toward how we rebel against God himself. This displeases the Lord. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. If you, really, if you really desire to please the Lord, if you see your faith growing, and you're like, yeah, I really want to please God, I really want to worship the Lord, then you have to obey your parents. That's what pleases him. You're putting your faith and trust in God who knows better than you, who has designed and defined the family. James Boyce, author, commentator, uh, says the following, The obligation is not merely on the side of the child who must obey, 
but also on the side of the parent who must enforce the obedience. This is because the parent stands as God in relationship to the child. We talked about that. To teach the child to obey, the parent is to teach the child to obey God. To allow the child to defy and disobey the parent is to teach the child to defy and disobey God with all the obvious consequences. And so we train our children, and if we're just asking them what they want to do all the time, negotiating with them all the time, trying to, trying to will you please just do this? Please? We're begging with them to do what we ask them to do. If we're, we're training them in an in unhelpful way versus telling them and directing them and having confidence in our parenting and loving them enough to say, no, this is what you're going to do. And I'll tell you maybe a little bit more about that later. And maybe we, maybe we give them some instruction as to why. And here, here's why I want you to do it. But a lot of times we're just going to tell you, this is what I want you to do. You need to trust me. You're, I'm, I'm your dad. I'm your mom. I know what's best for you. I don't need to have a giant summit every time I ask you to clean your room to determine the, the merits of this. And you know, what, what trade-offs am I going to get? And that's not what's happening here. Clean your room so I can actually walk through and get to your window occasionally and open it so... We can live again and not breathe this, whatever this locker room thing is going on in here, right? There's a purpose in it, and I might give you a glimpse of that, but just clean your room. Just do what I ask you to do. Please take this out. We, we're, we can be thankful, and we can say please and thank you. We can model manners and model good communication. A lot of times it's the communication that's the problem, right? Is it better to yell up and down the stairs at each other versus sitting down or having the face-to-face? Say, can you come down here for a minute? Here's what I'd like you to do. Right? So there's, there's ways that we can cultivate this in a healthier manner. But ultimately, the, child, the job of the child is to obey, and the job of the parent is to teach the child to obey. Proverbs 13.24, we, many of us know this, whoever spares the rod hates the son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Parents, it's our duty. We, we train and we teach our children to honor and to obey by disciplining them, by correcting them. They're naturally rebellious. They're naturally going to want to sin and, and find their own their own way and do their own thing. And so we have to train them. We don't spare the rod. We don't spare discipline in whatever manner that might look. I was thankful for my parents. They, they, they didn't spare the rod, right? In my mom's case, it was a wooden spoon, right? There was always a drawer by the stairs. And whenever we said something, brothers and I were downstairs fighting, something was going on, something clearly broke. I don't know what it was. And the drawer, we'd hear the drawer, right? And she had like all different manner of spoons, the wide, the small. Do I want to sting or do I want to make a bigger, a bigger, uh, bigger impact here? And so, and I was always confused because these were spoons of love too, because they made cookies. And so I'm still, I'm still, still conflicted when I eat cookies today. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Because I've been trained by the wooden spoon. But eventually, you know, we got big enough and the spoon didn't scare us anymore, right? And so the dreaded words would come out of my mom's mouth. She wouldn't even open the drawer so that he knew this, there was a bigger problem. She would just say, wait till your dad gets home. And then we'd be quiet. We were like, oh, all right, we can't take it back now. Wait till our dad gets home. And he, and he brought a loving discipline to, to our home. And I respected my father for that. I really don't remember ever being angry at him for having been disciplined. I was always scared and upset at myself for doing things. And, but, but he trained me to think about those things. And then how do I deal with, with other adults in positions of authority? And then when I got my first job and people were telling me to do things I didn't want to do, how do I respect them? What, right? So there's, there's, a, there's a continuation here. It, it, it helps us in every aspect of our life. And so when we spare that, when we don't have discipline in our homes because we're a little bit too permissive because we've, our parents were really harsh, so we want to come way over here. That's what we do. We, we pendulum swing to the extremes, and then we err on both sides. But instead of disciplining, we just want to have grace and love, and that doesn't train, though. It doesn't train our children. Similar to the church. 
God has placed church discipline for our good as a body. Why? To deal with unrepentant sin for the sake of the sinner and for the sake of the church. And if, if there's a process here, you go, you confront your brother or your sister. If they won't listen to you, you bring someone else. If they, you bring, you know, you can bring the elders, you bring them in front of the church, you bring the church to bear on this. This is God's family, right? And if they still won't listen, you remove them from fellowship. You don't have fellowship with them. I talked about this a few weeks back. It's, it's kind of like sending your child to their room and then taking away everything. They just got carpet and a window. It's finally clean, right? You take everything out so they can't enjoy any of their stuff. Eventually, that's going to be, that's, that's not fun. Eventually, you're going to have a child who comes down the stairs repentant. You've removed all their consolations. You don't enable them by rewarding them with anything. In a similar fashion, this is God's love for the church. And it's sad and it's, it's hard not to fellowship with a brother or sister who has, who has sinned and is unrepentant of that sin. But if you continue to have fellowship with them, you're not helping them. You're enabling them in their sin. You're not correcting anything. This is God's means. We have to do it God's way, not our own. And in a similar fashion, we have to discipline our children. It's right and it's good. And it helps. It actually provides security and safety. There's, there's boundaries put in place for them. I was reading a few other public health journals um, as I was studying, in some journals from the NIH, even the Pew Research Center, there was, there was quite a few articles related to all of this, as you can imagine. And the, one of the big takeaways related to our, our text this morning is that parents, essentially parents who are present, like I mentioned, parents who are present and then parents who are actually parenting, right, who actually care, was the single largest variable in a number of factors in an adolescent's life, even as they grew into adulthood. So parents who are present and parents who are actually parenting was the single largest variable for the following. This is just a short list. Childhood illnesses and accidents, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, school disruption, truancy, academic underachievement, child abuse, unemployability. So the less a parent is present, the less a parent parents in the home, the more likely that your child is, is unemployable. They don't know how to keep a job. They don't know how to interact with people Properly, they don't know how to provide respect to employers and to people in management positions. They don't know how to interact with people. It's all about self. They've learned that it's all about them. If they don't get their way, they're out of there. And so their resume is 12 pages long of all the places that they stayed for a couple days here and there, right? And they're not going to get a job. It's harmed them in the long run. Juvenile crime goes up without parents and parenting. Mental illness increases, behavior issues, anxiety, depression. It was interesting, even in urban high-crime centers where the environment is such that you think no one has a chance, right? Even in these urban high-crime centers, 90% of those children who actually have parents that are present and parents that are involved, 90% of those kids are typically fine. They don't have these issues. They don't get involved with crime. Their education is actually good. Their social relationships are good. They're employable. They don't have a lot of mental illness. 90% of the kids who actually have parents who are parenting and high... So you can just blame the environment all you want. It's, it's the environment in the home that matters more than the environment in the city or in the neighborhood. The home matters more than anything. There's always exceptions to the rule, but in general, this is the findings of a lot of research. And so God's promise that it'll go well. You'll live long in the land. You'll prosper. You'll see an abundant life is true if we will learn to honor and to obey our parents. So for those of you living at home, how you submit to the authority of your mom and dad is how you submit to God. You're learning, you're being trained by this. And remember these lists from Romans 1 and 2 Timothy 3. 
Disobeying your parents is in the same list of unrighteousness, godlessness in these days. It's that important to God. It might not seem that important to you to throw a flippant response to your parents, to, to roll your eyes. And do, it's that important to God because he sees the end result. He sees the sin that's, that's, that's in here. That's trying, he's, he wants to pull that out of you, sanctify you, make you holy. And he provided your parents in your home to get that process rolling. And eventually, there's a handoff, right? Eventually, you're no longer under the authority of your parents in the same way. You don't have to obey them once you leave the home. You're not, they're not providing for you. They're not, you're now an adult, and you're moving out of there. And there's a handoff where now you're completely, completely under God's authority and God's care directly. Now, that happens, hopefully, progressively and in the home. And as you put your faith in Christ, you begin to honor and obey God by obeying your parents while you're still in the home. But ultimately... There's, at some point, you're going to leave the home. How will you interact with God? And so, parents, this is why we take the, the idea of discipline so seriously. How our children learn to respect us and submit to us is how they learn to respect and submit themselves to God. And here's, I love this passage. You guys know this passage in Deuteronomy 6. As God gives his law again, and he gives the Ten Commandments and gives the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. It's about heart response. We honor God with our heart, not just our lips. We, right? we obey God, not just flippantly with an eye roll. We obey God from the heart. That's what he wants from us. And what do we do? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. It takes diligence. It takes consistency. It takes overcoming fatigue, right? It takes reprioritizing your life so so that your children are prepared, so that they're trained. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This requires that you're around your family, that you're around your kids a lot. And in God's wisdom, I love this. Because he doesn't just tell you it has to be a formal class. You have to go sit at a Black Forest Chapel sermon. You've got to go sit at this class. You've got you to have your Bible class online or whatever it is. This is how you formally train. No, it's when you as a parent walk and talk and as you're lying down before bed, as you rise in the morning, as you're doing life together, this is how you teach them about who God is. But all the things that happen in life. It's, it's, it's a great, life is a classroom for us, right? We can do this as we go. But if you're not spending time with them, because you have them in so many other things and you're too busy with work and you can't expect this. They might, be, they might be really good and they might be good at being in line and obedient children and you might think you raised this awesome child who they leave the house and they are completely godless. And they're really nice and they dress nice and they look nice and they've got a nice job and they drive a nice car. And two marriages later, drug addiction later, alcohol addiction later, you're sitting back as parents in, in the years you should be enjoying this, extend, this extended family, the, the fruit of your labor, but you really didn't labor in this area. You left it to other professionals to do that for you. You just kind of hoped that something else would take place, but you didn't actually invest because you didn't spend time. You didn't walk and talk and sit, and that's what you need to do. Some of the best conversations I have with my sons are when we're in the car together, and I, there's no devices, and they're a captive audience, and ask a question. There, there's room to talk now, right, versus the busyness of everything. So find a way. This, this is how, in God's wisdom, it's as we go, as we're doing life, not just in some formal aspect. Formal is, is not bad. It's a good thing. It shouldn't be the only thing. So that's, that's the, the big picture of children in the home, what God has to say about that. The second side is adult children. How do we honor our father and our mother as adult children? We are no longer 
We, don't, no, no, we no longer have to obey them and their commands to us, even though perhaps our parents still want to command us in things and, and uh, provide us their insight in a very aggressive way. Um, my parents are probably watching, so we're choosing my words wisely. No, my parents are awesome. They don't do that. But perhaps there's still an overbearingness, a a telling you what to do, an expectation. How do we still honor them in that, even though we're not not called to obey them any longer? We have our own family. Well, there's some ways to think through that. The first thing is just to speak well of our parents, both both in private and public, with our family, with our spouse, and in public. We should speak well of our, our parents. We should show them respect and honor by speaking well of them. And if you can't say anything good, then you should remain silent, right? But what do we do oftentimes? We blame them. We complain about them. Even as adults, sometimes we complain about our parents and what they didn't do and did do. And all. No, we should honor them and respect them by speaking well of our parents. We should forgive them if they've wronged us in some way. The Bible calls us to overlook their offense in love. Proverbs 19.11, Proverbs 17.9, Mark 11.25. These are all scriptures related to overlooking offenses. They might not ask you for forgiveness, but we should still forgive them. We should overlook their offense and not hold on to that bitterness. We should express gratitude by thanking them. Um, and this is, this is one of those, this is answering the question really of how do I honor my parents when they're not honorable? They were not there for me. They were, they were terrible parents in many ways. They were abusive. They were this. They were that. How do I still honor people that were not honorable? Well, God still calls us to do that. There's no distinction here. There's no qualification. We don't have to, we don't have to put ourselves under them any longer, right? We don't have to um, allow abuse to continue, but we have to find ways to honor them. So we can express gratitude by thanking them. And if, you, if you're thinking, well, I can't think of one thing to thank my parents for. It's amazing. At a funeral with children who have to or decide to eulogize their parents, suddenly they can find all kinds of things. Suddenly they can remember some of the things that their parents did that helped them, that shaped them, even though there may be some other difficult things. If we spend time with this, we can find that. And really, what does it do? What does it train our heart to do? Because once again, we're, we're looking at a picture of how we translate this to our relationship with the Lord. If we're always looking toward the negative of what God hasn't done for us and how God hurts us, and how God's, then, then we're, gonna have, we're not going to have a, a good walk with him. We're going to be distant from him versus sitting down and thinking about all the things that God has done for us to be, to be grateful for those things. We honor God in that, not just to complain about everything we don't like or things we don't have. So in the same way, we can express gratitude by thanking our parents, thinking of the ways that they've, they've helped us and raised us. And out of the blue, we just thank them because we're truly thankful. We're, we're, we have gratitude in our hearts. It doesn't have to be disingenuous, right? We can ask them for advice and counsel when appropriate. Sometimes we don't want to ask our parents because we feel like they're going to be intrusive or I don't want to go there. And I don't want... Well, we, they still have a lot of wisdom. They still have something to provide. They know you really well. And so per- perhaps there's a way you can ask them for advice and for wisdom and for counsel. Let them enjoy being your parent. We can honor our parents that way. And then a big one is the care for them as they age, as they have need. Considering all the sacrifices that have been done for you, how can we sacrifice for them? This is God's plan for the family. It wasn't just the one-and-done nuclear family. and Our culture doesn't have the same mindset when it comes to this. We don't revere and respect our elders the way that we should. And so how do we care for them as they age and have need? Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees on on this account in Mark 7, 9 through 13. Uh, Jesus says, and he continued, he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So in the the context of traditions and the the Pharisees' um, 
really putting man-made laws above God's law. Jesus invokes this commandment. He says, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is korban, that is, devoted to God. So any financial help, any, any provision that you might have that might benefit your aging parents, people that have need, you can, you can decide that this is korban, this is devoted to God. So mom and dad, I'd really love to help you right now. And I've got all this cash piled up and I've got all this good stuff, but I, I'm going to give it to the church instead. I'm going to give it to the temple as my worship to God. And so now you release yourself from obligation of providing for your family, essentially, and all that goes with that. And this was, you know, giving to the church, giving to the temple, giving to God is a good thing. They've used this tradition, though, and use it to abandon their parents. And Jesus says, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. And Jesus is our ultimate example of submission in a number of ways. He loved his mother even to the point he's on the cross. He saw his mom. He saw John in John 19. He says, behold your son. He says, behold your mother. Right? And John took her to his home after that. Jesus was caring for his mom even, even while he's being crucified. And we see Jesus as a young child. If we... Uh, Go back to that part of the gospel as we close here. Jesus as a young child submitting to his parents. Um, this, is, this is an example for us, every one of us, especially those of us still in the home. I'll just read this section in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Just consider this, Jesus and how he interacted with his parents. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. We can, we can kind of, we get that, right? If you're out at a big group, birthday party, you got a couple SUVs, everyone accounted for, great, get in the car, and then, oh, we left someone behind, right? There's a big group, this is, they're all traveling together, they just, they just assumed he was with them. After three days, so they went back. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? About my father's business? An instant question. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and with man. If, if anyone, if any 12-year-old preteen could say that they know more than their parents, Jesus could, right? He's the only one that can say that. And yet he still submitted himself to his parents. The God of the, I mean, this, it's amazing. Jesus, the one who has no beginning and no end, is incarnated in the flesh. <laughs> he's, he's God. And they didn't even understand what he was saying. There's still a teen parent disconnect there in the conversation, but it's because they didn't understand why he was there fully. And yet he was submissive to them fully. John Stott says, Christian children learn to obey with gladness, for this pleases the Lord. They remember the loving submission which Jesus himself gave as a boy to his parents. Now this same Jesus is their Lord and Savior and the creator of a new order, so they are anxious to do what pleases him. This should be the heart of every Christian child, to learn to obey with gladness. You remember Jesus' submission. You remember that he, that he did this 
really for the sake of his parents and out of, out of submission to God himself, honoring God, honoring his parents. This is good. This is what God calls us to do. And for parents, remember, Chip Ingram says, remember that you are not called to produce successful, upwardly mobile, highly educated, athletically talented machines. Giving your children great opportunities is good. It is not, however, the goal of parenting. Christ's likeness is. Above all, seek to raise children who look and act a lot like Jesus. And the promise comes at the end of that. We see a positive result. We see healthier children. We see more productive, prosperous children. And God's commandment comes to life. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again thank you that you're our Father, that we can collectively, those of us who believe in Jesus in this room, who've given our life, who follow Christ, who've been forgiven of our sins because of our faith, who've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, who now stand justified before a holy God, we can say, Our Father, who art in heaven. And Lord, your name is to be revered. Your name is holy. And we want to honor you, Lord, by obeying you. And so we, we know, Lord, that you're your word, this commandment is to honor our parents, honor our, our father and our mother. They've been given to us by you. They are gifts from you to raise us, to protect us, to train us. Lord, help us. Those of us still living in the home, those, of, those young adults in this room, this, this, our, this youth and teenagers and elementary students, and uh, help us, Lord. Help, help these young people to understand that this is for their protection, this is for their good, and when they, when they talk back to their, their parents, when they talk about their parents negatively to their friends, when they roll their eyes, when their heart is far from honoring, that they, they have no respect and no care at that moment, Lord, you would convict their hearts, and they would repent of that sin, and they would come back not only to, to their parents, Father, in, in that situation, but to you as well, because this is a command from you. It's for their good. And help us as, as adult children who still love our parents and want to be part of, but we just don't know how to honor them. It's difficult, Lord. There's a lot of baggage. Perhaps many are in counseling. Perhaps some don't even speak to their parents, Lord. I don't know what's, what everyone's situation is, Lord. You do, and I pray you would speak to us. Help us, convict us, show us how we can honor our parents, how we can bring life to their life, how we can speak truth in, in a way that's really loving and help us just to care for our parents in a number of ways, Lord, not just financially, but that's part of it, Lord, but physically and emotionally. You've called us to these things, Lord. You've called us to love our enemies. And these are people that hate us, but yet you called us to love them. That's, that's really hard to do, Father, but you've called us to do that. So help us to love our enemies. You've called us to have mercy on those who really don't deserve it, Lord. And, and, and the reason is because you had mercy on us. We didn't deserve anything. We deserve nothing but your wrath. We deserve nothing but death. But Father, you sent your son anyway in mercy. You loved us anyway. Help us to express that as we love our enemies, as we have mercy on others who don't deserve it, and as we honor our parents, even if they don't deserve it. And Lord, as parents, help us to be honorable. Help us to follow you, Lord. If we're asking our children to follow you, we better make sure we're doing the same. Help us in all these things, Lord. We desire for our families to be a blessing to everyone in the family, Lord, to our church, to our community, to our nation, Father. This is, this is your wise design. Thank you for loving us so much to give us your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. 
You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.